Welcome to What's the Story? I'm Kim Burns, and I'm here today with Marilyn Moss Rockefeller, who is the author of Mountain Girl, and the subtitle is From Barefoot to Boardroom. So, so Marilyn, you grew up in the Appalachian Mountains of West Virginia, and let's just start out with that because as the title indicates, you don't stay there. So we're going to start out with the fact that I know you lived when you, in your younger years with your grandparents, primarily the Nashes. Yes, yes. Uh, and probably those were the most wonderful and important years of my life. I was there for nine years and um, my mother was off trying to make a career for herself and I stayed with them. And uh, it was near the end of the depression and we, I guess we're poor, <laughs> like everyone else in the rural mountain areas. But it didn't seem that way because uh, it was a self-sustaining farm. And we always had enough food to eat and to share. And we had animals and and chickens and, you know, the whole works. And I love my my grandparents because they were so warm. And I learned well, I, I think that the values that I have and have been important in my life and helped me accomplish whatever I needed to accomplish really came from that experience from them because they Yeah, they, they clearly exuded all sorts of love, but also it seems from reading your wonderful book, it was a really it was a fast, fun read. It was it was just lovely to hear about your crazy adventures. Uh when you spoke about your father when you were younger. He was also somebody who really, really encouraged this fearlessness in you, which I think is just, it's really the thing that can drive so many of us when we're in perilous situations. So between the love of your grandparents and the fearlessness that your father gave you as a young girl coupled together seemed to me to be sort of your launching pad emotionally. Yes, absolutely. My dad, I had wanted a, a boy. And when I was born, he was disappointed. But he, you know, he sort of shook it off and said, Oh, well, you know, you can do anything a boy can do. And started out teaching me to do anything that I wanted to, and that I would come up against. Right, like shoot guns. Yes. <laughs> And I do know that he named you Marilyn Ray because he wanted a boy named Ray. So, oh, well, <laughs> eventually <laughs> that went away. What I think is really interesting, and I think that our listeners would love to know is it, it's it's pretty fair to say without giving the story away that then you ended up someplace else because your last name is not Rockefeller and you did go on this incredible journey. Let's talk a little bit about what it was like when you had to leave the farm, which was almost like a nest or a cocoon of, of warmth, and then go on and live with your mother and sort of follow her dream at yes. the time. That's right, yeah. Um, my mother, at the, when I was at the age of nine, she said, okay, I now have a really good job in uh, Maryland, and um, uh, please send Maryland to me. So my grandparents took me to the railroad station and put a little note on me in case there was a train accident, I guess, <laughs> and with my mother's phone number. And uh, I was found myself um, in, a, in a very strange environment. Everything seemed different, including my mother. 
she had been brought up in the mountains and with my same sort of set of parents. So um, I, she wanted me to uh, act like a young lady instead of being a tomboy, which of course I was. And the first thing she did was, uh, we have to cut off your braids because you're much too old to have braids. Okay, but you have a braid now. I just wanted to point out. That's right. Well, I'm old enough now. But it goes full circle. <laughs> I'm doing what I want to do as Marilyn. There you go. <laughs> so my mother set about trying to teach me certain manners and walking with a dictionary on my head and how you sit properly with your legs crossed. And uh, the main thing was my accent. And I didn't think I talked funny, but she said I did. And so she said, no, 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 you have to start every day saying how now brown cow. And of course, there I am at the age of nine, <laughs> very impatient. Well, how now, brown cow? Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's the cow part. I mean, I had that down. Well, I, what I got, what, what is what's so interesting about your journey, and then we'll get to the, the next step of it, is that with each phase that you went through, which were much bigger than the, the average, average life, uh, having to all of a sudden, you know, go from country to city and really change your identity as you talked about. And throughout the book, what I get a lot of is you recognizing basically imposter syndrome because you're constantly in new situations. <laughs> no idea even how you got there, but <laughs> having to having to adapt. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that because Nowadays, you just go on the internet and you look at imposter syndrome. And there's all these ways you can figure out how to fake it until you make it. But in in those days, you were just really relying on your your own gut and your own gumption, uh, because your mother was busy and you were sort of to to my mind on your own compared to the support systems we have now. So, how do you think you really did it? Uh, well, I'm not really sure, Kim. I I think. Uh, I just wanted so much to fit in in each in each move and have friends that I would just mimic, I guess. Um, you know, if they were Jewish and uh, I'd eat with their families and learn Jewish food and and go to the synagogue with them if they were Catholics, and then I would, you know, uh, in Italians, I would eat pasta and not, instead of just spaghetti, as my mother called it. And um, and I just started being able to have that ability to go up and meet anyone. And when and even in the next phase of my life, when I um, uh, was in graduate school at the University of uh, Michigan and um started working for C. William Moss Associates, which was my, became my first husband. Uh, I met very exotic and unusual and unique and artistic and sophisticated uh, celebrities and, and people. And I have now that ability to just fit in. I mean, as right. you said, make it, uh, uh, fake it until you make it. Right. But I also think it takes a combination of, I mean, you were a self-declared rebel because you were as a kid. Yeah. And then it takes a certain amount of intelligence. Let's just admit to that. But there was also something that comes up very early in the book 
that I believe your grandparents said was uh, let little behooves any of us to find fault in the rest of us. Yes. Now, I think that sort of lends itself to being able to not be so much an imposter, but somebody who doesn't judge. So you can go into these situations and you're also not judging yourself. I mean, that's kind of what I got out of it. Yeah. That's probably true. Yeah. I yeah. Think I, particularly, we'll talk about now when you were at the University of Michigan and you ended up in this, what, what, what started out to be a very kooky, well, sort of ended up being one too, but a very kooky situation working for Bill Moss, who, like you said, then became your husband. But let's talk a little bit about that crazy adventure because he was a amazing, amazing artist. In fact, you wrote a book, Bill Moss, Fabric Artist and Designer, a beautiful book on all the interesting things he did with fabrics from for showrooms and tents and whatever. It's, it, he sounded like an amazing person, also a bit of a challenge. He was. He was indeed. He was an artist and uh, he was very charismatic, uh, very charming uh, He and funny, um, could tell wonderful stories. And he was almost twice my age, but of course I was very infatuated here. I had not been exposed to such a creative atmosphere. And um, it was just great fun uh, finding out how you go about thinking of things that he thought of and came up with, which, you know, were a way ahead of their time. I mean, we had paper furniture. My kids had paper toys. Um, we had fabric everywhere and outside and inside our house uh, for room div div dividers. And um, well, you had a house built out of fabric. Yes. No, it was built out of paper. Oh, but paper. <laughs> Even scarier. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we on North Haven Island and it lasted for 10 years. It was wonderful. That's really amazing. Well, I mean, you must have been in awe of his creativity and not so much in awe of his bookkeeping. But what I found really tremendous is the situations he put you in that were just fantastical, like ending up, you know, with uh, Carol Shelby and, you know, at Le Mans with <laughs> the race cars and and kind of just going along with it. And again, that goes back to being able to fit into those situations because I know you mentioned in the book, you didn't, the first trip you went over to Europe, you didn't have a passport, you had never been out of the country. I mean, this is all new, but you just kind of rolled with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, what can you do when you, you know, women, you know, if we have to step into a place and do something, we just do it, right? Yeah. Right, right. You've done the same thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had uh, more times than I can count. Uh, so that actually is a perfect lead into the question that I had about your, your your long marriage with Bill and some of it, I won't give away too much because uh, I'd love people to read this book. But again, women uh, put themselves in situations that are very difficult for the women and it's difficult for the women to get out of those situations, particularly where children are concerned. Uh, so I'd like to talk a little bit about how you and Bill built your company and then uh, however much you want to disclose about where that company went and also the fact that you really did do incredible things for women and healthcare and all of these things that were happening in Maine. That's a, it's a big chunk, but maybe you can condense it for us. 
Oh, that's, that's a lot. It's 30 years. I um, know. <laughs> um, well, Bill, uh, I was wanting to be an artist. And also, I was a weaver at the time that we moved to Maine. And he insisted on us starting a manufacturing company because he didn't like the way when we um, sold our ideas that they lost their integrity of design, he thought. So he said, let's do it ourselves and keep controls. And I, who knows how to run a manufacturing company? Not I. And he certainly didn't. And he started off, my father invested $20,000 out of his, my stepfather, out of his savings, which were really hard on him because they were retired. And it was gone within two weeks. And so my stepfather said, Marilyn, get in there and turn this company around and make a profit. And I thought, my God, I'm... I don't know anything about manufacturing and I have two children and two young children. And he said, no, you get in there. I'm sure you can do it. And um, so I just took the bull by the horn, as they say, and I just got in there and I thought, okay, I can do this. And then I'd remember my real father's uh, phrases of you just have to keep saying, I can do this. And I developed a real determination uh, and tenacity um, I made mistakes. It was trial and error. But what I found was instead of being a business manager of a, the company, I became a leader. And I included all the employees in what we would all learn together. And I ran that company as with all my um, values that I had learned at my grandparents, and that was trust and respect, caring, sharing, um, no tolerance for intolerance, and and wanting to help each employee have an opportunity to be his or her or potential, meet their potential, and it worked. You know, it it we became now. It took it took a long time for you to make money, and then you had a few guardian angels kind of come floating into the factory a couple of times and saying, "Oh well, I'm going to turn this place around for for nothing as a consultant." It was very. I I think it's amazing, but going back to women jumping into these situations, I think that. The number one thing, particularly in your case, is it is about collaboration versus having to be the boss. And that that sort of would kept you afloat until you had somebody in there who said, here's what you're doing wrong. Even though yeah. you didn't want to hear it, you still listened. Yeah, but we still kept that community uh, trait. that right. uh, even together. more so. Yes, and more so. And so it's a loyal community that you... We had no tur turnover of employees and absenteeism became almost zero. And uh, it when I did go get ready to sell the company, the company in New York that wanted to, to buy us, they were particularly interested in the culture of the company and did leave it in Maine for five years. But then they wanted to turn it around and right. sell it. So then it was moved in. I was heartbroken. My employees were heartbroken and a few of them went with the it's, company. Well, it's to a degree inevitable, but even five years is a great amount of time. And 
I think it's interesting because I think a lot of quote leaders wouldn't have thought that the culture was as important as you did, but you were driving it again from your gut, uh, which is amazing. Uh, we'll talk next uh, before we wrap up about how you uh, met your current husband, uh, Pebbles Rockefeller. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, but, you know, I, I wanted to touch briefly on the idea that there are so many people who, when they make it out of the farm, when they make it out of the small town or what have you, they leave that identity behind and in a very artificial kind of way. And you did exactly the opposite. So every time you seem to save the day, it was because of something that you reached back and pulled to the present that gave you more strength or integrity or what have you. And I think it's really amazing because you really don't find that. I mean, you meet so many people, sort of the rags to riches, but they really, really want to leave the rags behind. So I hope you have some advice. Well, I'm still a mountain girl at heart. <laughs> I know, but that's so fabulous. I mean, most people, you know, they wouldn't even talk about it to a degree, uh, which I think is it's such a shame because no matter what, you can't pretend it didn't happen. Yes. And in your case, it's a strong suit. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, it, it has served me well, definitely. Yeah. I'm very, very happy. And I, God, I couldn't have met a more wonderful man. And I know. And then, and we, we won't get too much into uh, Bill uh, leaving the scene and then you um, deciding to learn how to fly a plane. Oh, why not? <laughs> it wasn't your idea, though. No, not completely. <laughs> But you still did it. Yes, yes, I did. Okay, so we just have a minute left. Uh, just tell me a little bit about where you are now. Uh, you did go on to marry um, James Rockefeller. Yes. And mm -hmm. uh, that is a love story in itself and a, be a beautiful way to ramp up a really interesting life. Anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners, Marilyn? Well, uh I guess when I was writing this book, I want, I learned so much. Not only I kept rewriting, rewriting, which I guess maybe a lot of people do. Uh, and I learned more about writing every time I rewrote the book. And I also learned more about myself. And I also started realizing why I was writing the book, that I really did want to share my experiences and hope that it inspired and resonated with other women. And, and in some cases, I'm getting a lot of feedback from young men who say I'm inspiring them. So I'm so gratified and not in any, I didn't expect it. I, you know what, then you should reread it because it's very inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, you did go back and get an MFA and everything just to get it right. But uh, yes. I I think that, again, for me, what really hit home is, I mean, I'm from Chicago, so I didn't grow up on a farm, I, you know, what have you. But I just know so many people that came from lesser backgrounds and made it big and just want to pretend it never happened. And it's such a shame. And then you read something like this and you think, yeah, but if you own it, then, you know, it's authentic. And that this is exactly what I felt with, with your book, which I'm going to show everybody again. Um, and the truth really comes through and the truth of your voice really comes through. And so it was, it was a lovely read. Thank you. 
Thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you for joining me today. And I hope to see you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Marilyn. Thank you, Kim. Bye-bye. This is Kim Burns with What's the Story? I've been talking to Marilyn Rockefeller. Uh, Please tune in again. Thanks. Thanks. 